Hello and welcome to the Cove's Body, Mind and Soul series. In this episode, we'll be looking at the Anglican and Christianity faith. Our guest speaker today is Bishop Grant Dibden. After a significant military career as a logistician, where he reached the rank of colonel, he transferred to being an army chaplain in 2007, and in 2020 was consecrated as an Anglican bishop to the Australian Defence Force, where he oversees 100 Anglican defence chaplains. He has a theological diploma and Bachelor of Theology theology from Sydney Missionary and Bible College, having done the bulk of the study from the Theological Diploma at Ridley College in Melbourne. He also holds a Bachelor of Science, Masters of Management in Defence Studies, Graduate Diploma of Management, and has formal qualifications in Training Development, Project Management, Chaplaincy, and is a graduate of the Australian Institute of Company Directors. We are also joined once again by Chaplain Isaac Khan, who will be assisting us with the interview. Bishop, welcome and thanks for supporting the Cove. And let's first look at Christianity. What is the Christian religion? And can you please provide a brief overview of the Christian faith framework? Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, Mark. Uh, I really appreciate that. You know, as you, you'll you be aware that Christianity is one of the uh, religions. It's part of the religious advisory committee to the services. And so it's great to be part of that uh, multi-faith committee and to just be part of the diversity and inclusion that I think supports defense. And, of course, uh, the Christian religion is really focused on Jesus. So Jesus was a real person who lived about sort of 2,000 years ago with year zero being, you know, the year he was born. Or, you know, there's a bit of debate about the exact time with uh, various scholars. But what Jesus did was really remarkable. And let me go back to the beginning to tell you the sort of story that Christians believe. What we believe is uh, comes out of the Bible, and we see there that in the beginning there was nothing. There was nothing. And either you've got to believe that the universe was always here or that God always existed. And Christians believe, of course, that God always existed and that he created the universe um, out of nothing, including our world. And he made this world perfect and humanity was made in God's image. And so so that's why Christians respect every person because we, we understand that every person is made in the image of God and is therefore to be be respected and cared for and concerned with. And then humanity rebelled against God. And what, what they wanted to be is humanity wanted to be in control. They wanted to be like God in that sort of sense, to be the one making the decisions. And and the Bible calls that sin. And so this this humanity rebelled against God. They went their own way. But God loved humanity so much. He loved his creation. So he wanted to bring us back to a good relationship with him to restore the broken relationship that humanity had walked off and done. So he chose a particular people, the Jewish nation. Uh, he chose he chose them. He called them the chosen people. And, and the Old Testament uh, scriptures of the Bible uh, are the Jewish scriptures as well. And they, they're the Christian scriptures. And they point to a saviour, to a king, to restore that relationship with God. And so... The New Testament talks to us about this king, or or the Greek that the New Testament's written in. The word is Christos there. That that means king, and that's where we get Christ from. Jesus Christ. Because Christ is not Jesus's surname. Um, Christ is is a title for who he is. He's the the king. He's the leader. Uh, and so Jesus is is who we were following and what what we we're on about. And so Jesus came 
uh, into the world, the Bible tells us. And at Jesus' birth, that's been predicted for hundreds of years from the Old Testament. He was to be born in Bethlehem. The, you know, that was predicted 700 years before it actually happened. He was to be of the line of David. He was to be born of a virgin. And he was to be accompanied by these prophetic determinations and angel visitations. And so the Bible tells us all these things. And it tells us about Jesus living a perfect life. Jesus was compassionate. He was kind. He was loving. He's merciful. He's wise. He's gentle. And yet he's firm when he's required to be. He was a servant leader. And his life is an example for all Christians to follow. He was crucified by the authorities. But he rose again and he appeared to his disciples, not just one at a time, but even to 500 witnesses all at once. And because he was, he, he was so, he was like God there that he was actually, he was God and he was taken back up to heaven. And so he ascended is what Christians hold the Bible tells us about. And so this, this all caused Christians to ponder how, how could this be? Because we know there's only one God. That's what the Bible tells us. There's, there's just one God. But, Jesus did all these things that only God could do, and he performed these miracles. He walked on water. He brought people back from the dead. He, he rose from the dead. He calmed storms. How, how could this be when there's only one God? And so the Christians came to understand that, well, Jesus is God, but yet he, he has this, he has a father who he talks to as well, who's God. So, so the Christianity holds that there is one God in three persons, because the Holy Spirit comes after he leaves. And so that's what the Bible, uh, we talk about the Trinity, that's what Christians believe, that there's one God in three persons. And it, it's hard to explain in some senses, it's hard to understand, but that's not necessarily such an, an inconceivable thing when you think that there's a God who created the whole universe just by speaking that, well, maybe we wouldn't completely understand him, so we won't. Christians would say we don't completely understand how that happens, but we know that's what the Bible says, and that's that's the that's the truth. So that's I hope everybody's sort of with me so far. That that's the the basic story. Except then it goes on to say that Jesus will return again. So this is the hope that Christians have of eternal life. That history is moving somewhere. That we're all going to have to stand before God uh, when we die, and we will be in heaven or be in hell. Uh, there's a little bit of dispute on, on where, where hell is and what that all looks like, but that's basically the Christian story that, that we're going we're gonna to spend eternity with Christ in. That will be in the new creation and the new heaven, the perfect world to be within. So that's the sort of Christian story, the Christian beliefs. That's it in general. That's what is the foundational beliefs that, that all Christians would hold. And Hopefully that answers your question there, Mark. That was a fantastic overview. Thanks very much. Uh, how does the Christian faith support a believer and what difference does it make to the individual? Great question. Well, it really gives hope because, and, and, and it guides. So Christians, if we believe all these sort of things, it gives us a purpose and a meaning in life beyond this world. So we know where we're going and what it's going to be like, and that's sort of, puts into perspective what the real meaning of life is. See, life isn't about, you know, getting to the top and having the most money or the more things. It's, it's about relationships, in particular our relationships with God 
and our relationship with people around us, the people who, who love us dearly like our Heavenly Father and, uh, and Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit love us dearly. And so they came and lived and, and were amongst us. And so, so this really helps us to, to live life and to, Put things into perspective and to see what's really important about life, and and it helps us to keep walking and being more like Him. Thank you. Another, another great wrap up there. So, in line with that, how does the Christian faith support defence capability? That's an excellent question too. And I think um, perhaps if I talk about how we support us, how it supports us individually, because and if I go to um, to the defence values, you know. You know, service is the defense value. And see, we, we want to be like Jesus. We want to be, he was a servant leader. He came, the Bible tells us, not to be served, even though he was God. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what uh, the Bible says in Mark chapter 10. So service is, is what the Christians want to be like Jesus. We want to follow him. And so we want to be serving people and caring for them and helping for them. So our the Christian values fit into service like that. And then courage, uh, the next defense value, you know, we want to be, the Bible talks about us being strong and courageous, you know, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians, talks about being courageous and in uh, Joshua 1, 8. So we want to have courage to stand up for the right things and to do the right things. And as I was talking about previously, that if we think life is about caring and being for people, that can help us to be courageous because we're not overly worried about careers and, and those sort of things. Yeah, well, of course, they're important to us, but we want to do the right thing. We want to care for people and look after them. So we're going to have courage, moral courage to stand up for those sort of things. And then you know, the third value about respect. Well, of course, we respect people because we understand that people are made in God's image, as I said, as part of the overview of Christianity. And we understand that Jesus came because he loved us and so God loves people, he loves everybody and so there's a command for us to, to love our neighbours as, as we love ourselves and so we want to be loving and therefore respect people. And then, you know, integrity is the fourth thing and of course, you know, we need to live out our faith, we want to do the right thing, be who we are, you know, there's no um, hypocrisy in those sort of things and so we want to be doing the right thing and living it out. And when, when Christians get it wrong, we want to come up and say, look, we want to admit that and say we're sorry. We, we say sorry to God. None of us is perfect. None of us gets it right all the time. I, I certainly don't. And so we, we're going to say we're sorry to God for going our own way, rebelling in that sense and doing the wrong thing. And we're going to say sorry to the people that we, that we offend. We're going to have integrity, hopefully, in the way that we live. That's going to be our aim. And our last um, defense value on excellence you know, that's where we want to be, be living for God. We want to be standing up for Him. And, uh, and, you know, the Bible talks about that again, about being an example to do good works and that everything that we do have respect and integrity and, and for us to be, be excellent, to think about these sort of things. That says, um, in, uh, in Philippians chapter four and verse eight, to think about excellent things. So I think personally, every Christian's trying to live those out to the best that we can. Um, so that fits in with defence uh, capability, and I think the other thing is because we're um, uh, we, we know that diversity is gets better decisions made, and so we want to have a diverse and inclusive defence force. Well, one of the perspectives that's really helpful in all that is a Christian perspective, a spiritual perspective. So it's great to have those 
perspectives brought into the conversation so that commanders um, and decision makers can hear those perspectives along with the whole range of other perspectives and then make more informed decisions because they're thinking about that there is a spiritual element to people. That's what a lot of people would be thinking about and this is how they would live and so they can make better decisions because they've understood that these things are all part of it and so they contribute to capability there. And I think lastly, there's a contribution to capability because we're in a a religious world. You know, the world is more religious than we would think perhaps in Australia. You know, the statistics are, uh, in the research is that there's 84% of the world have have some religious faith. And so if you have 84% of the world that have a religious faith, then having people think about that, particularly in our region that's very religious, then you want to have people who can understand them and then can open some doors sometimes because the the people from the places that we're going to support or uh, that they're open to hearing from us. And I know that, you know, this has been the case uh, in a range of um, operations that, uh, of recent times that I probably can't uh, mention in specific detail, but I know that this has occurred. So I think that we do make contributions to defence capability. And there's got to be a, a good percentage, a high percentage of people of the Christian faith in the military. How can a local uh, commander support those of the Christian faith? I think probably there's a few things that commanders can do. First, I think it's just to encourage people to follow their faith. You know, that if you've got some Christian people, commanders got Christian people working for them, then, then they want to say, look, this is actually a good thing. You know, we know that it contributes to defence capability. We know that it helps people. We actually want to care for our people. And one of the ways that we care for them is saying, hey, look, why don't you keep following your faith? And so where they can to allow people to attend uh, Christian services and go to worship and just to be encouraged and be allowed to speak when they're making decisions, they ask them for a, well, you're, I know you're a Christian. What, what's, you know, what's your viewpoint about this? Is there anything in the spiritual realm that might be helpful for that? So they can talk about that. And I think, you know, probably secondly, they can platform their chaplain a little bit to, uh, to talk about things like character and values. And so it is it's sort of seen as a bit of an afterthought and something that's not really related to defence issues. It's actually seen as being a part of the whole, a part of the whole system and people will be encouraged with, um, being able to share and uh, and have their their religious views taken seriously. Yeah. Is there anything a commander should think about services on Sunday? Uh, anything else like that? Yeah, I think you know services on Sunday are important. I think it doesn't have to be always on Sunday. I mean, I've been out in the field on occasions when there's something happening on the battlefield, or when you're even on exercise, or or when you're deployed. But you can have a service at at any time during the week, really. So, you know, fit them in where you can. Um, just allow those uh, allow those things to occur. And Sunday's preferable, but it's not the only sort of time that, that it can be done. Well, that's fantastic. That'll really help our people out. Now, sort of moving along, and, and I'm presuming it's a little bit similar, uh, we'll sort of move on to the Anglican faith now. And, and Anglican is a Christian faith, uh, but, but what is distinctive to the Anglican tradition? Thanks for that. Yeah, like all religions, you know, there's a core set of beliefs, and that's basically what I outlined for you at the start there. But then there's various cultures and interpretations of the fundamental writings and uh, and various preferences. And, and you see that Christianity is really based on the Bible. Now, that gives us, that's our foundational document that 
tells us all about these sort of things, um, but it gets interpreted slightly differently. And one of the ways that it gets interpreted is in the Anglican faith. And so, you know, Anglicans, I think we've got a fundamental declaration. They talk about the you know, Australian Anglican Church. There's only three of them, and that says, let me just read them for you, that the Anglican Church of Australia, being part of one holy Catholic and apostolic Church of Christ, holds the Christian faith as professed by the Church of Christ from primitive times and in a particular set forth in the creeds, uh, which are the Nicene and the Apostles' Creed. So creeds are very important for Anglicans. And then the second thing is that the church receives all the canonical scriptures of the Old and New Testament as being the ultimate rule and standard of faith given by the inspiration of God and containing all things necessary for salvation. So that's again about, for Anglicans, talking about the Bible being, you know, the foundation in many senses. And then thirdly, that the church will ever obey the commands of Christ, teach his doctrine and administer his sacraments of holy baptism and holy communion and follow up and hold his discipline and preserve the three orders of bishops, priests and deacons in the sacred ministry. So within the Anglican Church, the structure is that there's bishop, deacon and priests and then there's the laity. So you have this sort of the clergy, which are, you know, they're the ones that will be wearing the collars and doing those sort of things. And so you've got these three officers, and that's how we, we structure and do that. Not And other, Anglic, other Christian churches don't have all of those sort of things. So there's a little bit of a difference there. You know, not all the churches would have a bishop, and not everybody would have priests. They'll have, they might call them a presbyter, or they might, have, they might not have a deacon. And they, they just have different ways of talking about things and structuring their their leadership and oversight. Uh, and then thirdly, um, we have the Book of Common Prayer, um, which really structures all of our liturgy, all of our sort of daily, uh, we would talk about them being the daily offices, that's morning and evening prayer. There's a, They're in the prayer book and you do those prayers each day to use those. It, it lays out the service for Holy Communion and for baptism as we've as I mentioned, but also for confirmations and for weddings and, and for funerals. And so there's prayers for various occasions. And then, you know, it has the priests for deacons, priests and bishops. And, and that sort of forms a, a fundamental structure uh, for Anglicans to, to be sort of tied to. So, so we, when we when I conduct a, a wedding, for example, some people would say, well, Bishop, can we have... And I have these different set of hours, and I say, well, actually, you can't because we've got to stick with the prayer book because that gives us our, our doctrine and, and, and what we're licensed to to use. And so we, we need to. There's a couple of different forms of the vows, but you can't have other ones. So it really, you know, is a foundation for that. The Book of Common Prayer, and uh, and within that, the Articles of Religion, or sometimes called the Thirty Nine Articles, and um, and they are, are our structure. So we've got these, we've got the Bible as the foundation, and we've got, that's interpreted by the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, the 39 Articles of Prayer and the Book of, uh, 39 Articles and then uh, the Book of Common Prayer. So that's the sort of structure for Anglicans, and that makes us just a little bit different, the structure and the way things are done to others, but the, the fundamental beliefs are, are largely similar across all the Christian faiths. Is there anything else, Bishop, that you'd like to add about Christianity and the Anglican faith? 
I guess uh, there is one thing, and I guess that's, and I and it probably was alluded to, and I didn't articulate it as much as I probably would like to have about about the, the good news or the gospel that is the key part of uh, about of Christianity. And so the good news is about it is about Jesus, which I outlined. But it's the what it calls us to do is to is to change our life to from leading our own way, that rebellion that I talked about initially, to following Jesus, to putting Him in charge of our life, to turning back to him, to saying sorry for the things when we do things wrong, and then to ask him to be, and we would talk about it, being our saviour and our Lord, to come and, and live within us and and then help us to live our lives for him. And so so I think that's, you know, that good news of the gospel is is critical for all Christian religions and particularly for Anglicans, you know, that this is this is the good news, this is what we're on about, this is what we want to tell people about and help them to understand if they're interested in it and invite them to follow Jesus if they'd like to. Ardra, do you have any questions? Oh, Bishop uh, Dibden, thank you so much for such a comprehensive explanation. I think you've done a really good job. I, I won't add um, anything to, to Christianity, but I'll ask you uh, just a bit of a fun question to round things out. When, when I was a new chaplain, uh, I was in a conversation with a former principal chaplain who happened to be an Anglican, and I mentioned to him some of my very positive observances of the Anglican tradition. And he said to me, well, Isaac, if you're not one, you want to be one. <laughs> so um, my, my question to you, to you would be, you know, what, what makes it so appealing? What would make the Anglican tradition of Christianity so appealing? Oh, yeah, that's yeah, really good. And, of course, you know, we would, we would want to um, say that. And, and, and it comes back, I think, to those, um, just how we can be. It's so so grounded in the scriptures and having the long tradition, you know, that we have of, of doing that, just having the, the solid form of the liturgy that keeps us um, uh, on the straight and narrow as much as we can. And, and I think, you know, just the, the worldwide fellowship, it's great to be involved in that and to be able to share with people uh, all around the country uh, about being being an Anglican and just, you know, the love for one another that we have. And I know that's there's other Christian faiths that, of course, they do all those sort of things as well. But there's just something about being an Anglican, you know, taking things really seriously and, and having the forms that sort of repeat over time and, and you just get, Really comfortable and encouraged by us. I think. I think anyway. That's what I've found. So I think it's just good, and and you get that nice, you know, oversight, you know, with bishops, and that, that can be helpful and supportive, as as we would want to be servant leaders as well, to encourage and serve, you know, the priests that are out there doing the business and the deacons on on the day to day stuff. So I think you get that other level of support as well that isn't always there in in some of the other. Christian religions that don't have that form of um, oversight and encouragement. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. All right. Well, Bishop, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, we at the Cove are grateful for the very valuable information you've provided, and I'm sure that uh, this will definitely assist our listeners. We also thank all of our listeners for tuning in. Our next talk continues with the Christian denominations and will concentrate on the Protestant faith. If you have any questions, please feel free in contacting soldiercove at gmail.com and we'll be sure to get back to you. Don't forget to download the Cove app. It's PME in your pocket anywhere, anytime.